welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We are happy you're here. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Well, we have Asher Morrison here this morning. So why don't you put your hands together? He's not leaving. He's He's got to get his own pulpit. It's a bit rough around here, isn't it? Um, so yeah, thanks, Ash. Thanks, Stu. Before I start my message today, I just wanted to um, start off by just going over the, the gospel again. Is that right if I do that? Because uh, if you don't get anything else today, if you can at least get the gospel, then mission accomplished for me, really. Um, it is the best thing you can possibly hear. And I also don't want to presume anything too. I don't know what everyone's story is in coming here. And, uh, and I don't know what it is you know about Jesus and know about church or anything like that. So I'm just going to share the gospel really quickly. So uh, let me know if I get anything wrong. For those of you who have been here for a while. Yeah, good. I know you will, Edna. I know you will. <laughs> Edna used to be my Connect pastor um, when I was a, a young adult. And Edna let me know when, uh, when there were things that I needed to work on. And I really appreciated that. That's right. Yeah. So it goes a bit like this. So God exists. He's real. And uh, for anyone here who's not sure about that, I just want to tell you from uh, my experience and from my understanding, he's real and that you probably already knew that. And that there's probably already been something in your heart that says there's more going on. There's someone else out there, something out there. Well, there is. And, uh, and you'd be pleased to know that he's exactly what you hoped he would be like. And that he is all good, all powerful and all loving. And, uh, and because he's like that, he hasn't kept himself a secret. He made himself known to us. And he made it very clear. He actually came to earth in the form of a person at one point so that we would get a super clear idea of what he is like. But he also came for another reason. He came because um, the way that he made us was that we would be um, people and he would be God. But unfortunately, what we've done throughout history is that we've tried to be God. And uh, when we do that, things go pretty terribly. Um, And we all have this in our hearts, this tendency to want to be our own gods. And it leads to all sorts of pain and suffering. And God calls this tendency, calls it sin when we uh, do things acting like we're God and putting our interests above his and other people's. Um, So he came to earth to show us what he was like and also to live a life that could substitute for the life that we could never live so that he could pay the price for what we should get, which is death and separation from God. And he did that on a cross. But being God, he rose again and he left us with his Holy Spirit to continue to transform us, to make us more like him, more how we were meant to be originally. And he is going to come back again. Uh, He's not going to leave us here. He's going to come back and he's going to rule and reign here on earth as it is in heaven forever. How'd I go? Yeah, sounds good. Awesome. So if you want to clock off now, you can. Uh, But but if you wanted to listen more, you can as well. It's up to you. Um, I'm going to pray. God, thank you for your incredible work. Thank you that you are who you are, and um, not only does God exist, you are everything that we could possibly hope that you could be and more. And I thank you for all that you've done and I thank you for all that you're yet to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right. Have you ever had your mind blown by something? 
I have several. Some of you don't have it recovered, but um, but I have. I've had a few things that have blown my mind. So um, you know, like maybe just for example, to give you some context, maybe there's you know that colleague at work called Matt that you've you know known for six months, but then you find out his name's actually Mike, and you've been calling him Matt. For six months, your mind's blown. Or maybe it was when you're watching a film like, you know, that old film, The Sixth Sense, and you get to the end and you realise that Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> really sorry if I ruined that surprise for you. Or uh, if you're from Newcastle and you realise that Henny Penny is not actually a national uh, takeaway franchise, it only exists in the Hunter region. Mind blown. Right now, some of you are dumbfounded. Henny Penny? What? What about this one? Uh, this is the Toblerone logo. Now, I've been eating Toblerone since I could, uh, probably before I should have, before I, I could start on solids. My mum was probably feeding it to me, especially at Christmas time. Someone showed me a couple of years ago that there is a bear in the logo. Has anyone ever seen the bear in the logo before? Hands up if that's the first time you have ever seen that. Yeah, look. Mind blown. And it's not, even, it's not even hidden. It's not like one of those horrible magic eye things where you've got to cross your eyes and do this and give yourself a headache to try and see it. It's obviously there. We're almost waving at you the entire, the entire time. Well, I wanted to um, share today uh, from start my message by sharing from a Christmas carol, which blew my mind as well. And I've got the words on the screen so I can read it along for you. Here comes Santa Claus. Here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. He'll come round when chimes ring out that it's Christmas time again. Peace on earth will come to all if we just follow the light. So let's give thanks to the Lord above because Santa Claus comes tonight. He is a miracle come to all if we just follow the light. So let's give thanks to the Lord above because Santa Claus comes tonight. Let's pray. No. <laughs> Anyone else's mind blown by this carol? I mean, the whole time I thought Christmas was about Jesus and uh, we remember that, that God sent Jesus, but according to this, he sent Santa. Anyway, that isn't actually the carol I wanted to share with you and Santa's fine. He's lovely. He's up there with Mickey Mouse. He's, uh, he's, he's a good time, but uh, whenever his wide red frame gets in the way of the true message of Christmas, I feel it's my duty just to take him down a peg or two. So that's done. Let me share the carol that did actually blow my mind with you. And that is this one, Joy to the World, which is actually one of the most famous Christmas carols in, in history. And I'm going to read the lyrics to this out to you. So, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Saviour reigns. Let all their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. That's a great verse, that one. That's not often sung at Christmas time. I imagine doing the, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as the curse, the curse is found. <laughs> Would throw a lot of people, especially David Kosh and all the minor Channel 7 celebrities that host the uh, Carols in the Domain. They were probably thrown a bit by that one, but might make you think. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love.
So here's the thing that actually did blow my mind about this Christmas carol. You ready? It's not actually a Christmas carol. It's a hymn. And here's the other bit. It's not even about Christmas. Mind blown, right? Forget Henny Penny and the Toblerone logo. Mind blown. I'll just clarify. It is kind of about Christmas in a way, but it's not so much about Jesus' first coming as it's about his second coming. It's actually a poem written by an English minister called Isaac Watts, and he wrote it in 1719 as a paraphrase of Psalm 98, which was a bit of an edgy thing to do in the church back then. He's the same guy who wrote the classic hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, which is a beautiful hymn. Um, So I want to have a look quickly at Psalm 98. Um, As you can see, we're sort of upgrading as we go. We started off with Here Comes Santa Claus. We've moved to Joy to the World. And now you'd be relieved to know we're getting to the Bible. (laughs) So Psalm 98, which is actually a psalm, which is, for those of you who don't know what psalms are, there are a whole bunch of songs or poems that were written in the Old Covenant, so before Jesus was around. And a lot of these songs were used as like hymns and, and songs that were used for special occasions by the Jewish people. And God, by his Holy Spirit, actually used a lot of the words of these songs to prophesy or tell us about what he was going to do in both his first coming and second coming. And, and this psalm talks about what it's going to be like when Jesus comes a second time and rules the world. So sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth and he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. So the question we have now is why is a hymn based on Psalm 98 such a popular Christmas carol? Well, first of all, it's catchy. Anything that's a hit is catchy. And you mightn't think it's as catchy as Taylor Swift, but back in the 1800s, people would have disagreed with you. This was a very popular tune that a guy called Lowell Mason uh, wrote to accompany this poem. It was very popular. But there's something more to it than just it was catchy. There's something about this joyful proclamation of the fulfillment of God's promises that rings true at Christmas. Because Christmas is about the fulfillment of God's promises, God keeping his word. Christmas is all about celebrating and anticipating God's fulfilled promises. Christmas is about both looking back to what God has done and looking forward to what he is still going to do. We look back to celebrate the arrival of Jesus, our Savior, to rescue us from our sin. And we look forward to the second coming of Jesus when he will come to rescue us from our suffering. First, Jesus came to pay the price for our sin and suffering. And the second time he comes, he will come to put an end to our sin and suffering. 
1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 10 to 13 speaks about this, looking back and looking forward. I just want to have a look at this verse with you. So from verse 10, concerning this salvation or the first coming of Jesus, the prophets or the writers of the Old Testament spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, try to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. So in other words, Jesus' death and resurrection. So the, the Old Testament prophets spoke about these things but didn't understand fully what they would look like. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. And when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels look, long to look into these things. In other words, the people that this letter was written to shortly after Jesus' death and resurrection, what Peter is saying is that all of history up to this point looked forward to this revealing of what God was up to, Jesus' first coming, and you got to be part of it. In verse 13, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Keep in mind, he's already come once when this letter is written. This, this reference is to his second coming. Now, for context, this letter written by Peter was written to the church during the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero. Um, and if any of you have heard of the Emperor Nero, he was a pretty cruel guy. This was the emperor who liked to tie Christians to poles and light them on fire to be torches in his garden parties while him and his rich friends had a party and got drunk while people burnt to death around them. Now, Peter himself was actually martyred in Rome only a couple of years after this letter was written. It was a tough time to be a Christian, a tough time to be in the church. And this is the context that Peter is writing to them. And he's writing this passage to encourage the church by telling them to not only look back to what Christ has won for them and saving them from their sin, but also look forward to his return when he'll bring an end to their suffering. Now, I'm just going to pause for a second just to acknowledge something. As I prepare this message, I became aware of how talking about the second coming of Jesus um, can be a bit of a loaded one for us. It can make us feel a bit uncomfortable. And I want to look at a couple of reasons why that is the case. The first is this, and that is anyone who has been in church for long enough um, or has just been alive for long enough has probably encountered some pretty um, wacky out there teaching about the second coming of Jesus. This isn't a new thing. It's been around since Jesus um, ascended into heaven. So in the 200 ADs, there was this guy called Montanus who, uh, who developed one of the first cults around Jesus is coming back at this time, stick with me and you'll be right. And he took a whole bunch of people around Turkey doing this. And of course, Jesus didn't come back at the times that he said he would. Uh, but there's been recent ones too, like the, um, the chicken from Leeds in the north of England. So this chicken used to lay eggs that had prophetic messages written on them about the return of Jesus. Except you'd be surprised to know it wasn't actually the chicken. Uh, it, was the, it was the farmer would write the messages on these eggs and then put it back into the poor chicken. This is why sometimes we're uncomfortable talking about the second coming of Christ, right? There's all this stuff associated with it. You're like, where is he going with this? What's going to happen? This is all sort of out there. But the second reason uh, why I believe we get a bit uncomfortable around speaking about the return of Jesus is that the second coming of Jesus for our culture, for the place where we live right now, is a bit out there. 
It is. It contrasts with what the normal sort of way of thinking of our culture is. And we risk looking a bit out there by speaking about it. So I want to tackle this first before I go any further. Now, 12 years ago, before um, I had any kids, Sky, um, my wife and I went on a trip to Israel. But it was an amazing trip and we visited lots of places that have historical significance in the Bible. One place that we went to was an area called Megiddo, which is where Armageddon is. And if you've not heard of Armageddon, Armageddon is a place that is um, spoken about in some of the prophecies in the Bible as where the final battle between good and evil will occur. And it's an actual place. It's just a big valley in Israel. And there's already been a whole bunch of uh, significant historical battles in that space. It's got a history and it's got this, uh, this prophecy about there's going to be another major battle there. Anyway. We got back from Israel and it was a couple of weeks after our trip and Sky was giving me a haircut. Now, um, I used to have um, more hair than I currently have. I used to have a magnificent orange afro. It really was. It was big and luscious like a lion's mane and um, really the, 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 the less hair I get, the more luscious and magnificent that, that haircut is. Anyway, I'll try not to get too sad, but Sky was cutting my hair. Now, the good thing with my hair is that it's like cutting a hedge. It doesn't really matter how neat and tidy you are. You can just sort of push bits in and, you know. So Sky was cutting my hair, my shirt off. She was cutting my hair. She was halfway through it. So um, half of it had reduced and the other was still like out there. And there was a knock at the door. And it was one of those um, missionaries from the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. And Sky lovingly encouraged me to go out and speak to him, which I don't mind. I, I don't mind. I, if someone wants to talk about faith, I think that's great. I'd love to talk to them about faith because they're thinking and, you know, exploring what's going on and the truth is there to be found. Anyway, so I went out there um, and he was, you know, a young guy being sent on his, on his, you know, first mission and he had his little script prepared. And so I said, hi, and he said, hi. And his first line that he had prepared was, did you know that Armageddon is a real place? And I said to him, yes, I did. And it threw him a little bit because that wasn't what's meant to happen in the script. <laughs> so he looked back down um, and then said, no, Armageddon's a real place. Did you know that it's a real place in Israel? I said, yeah, I know, I've been there. It, it, yeah, it's a, it's a real place in Israel. Yeah, I know, I was there two weeks ago. <laughs> anyway, at this point... I noticed he had this like really confused like look of probably more mild terror. You know when someone starts to back away from you? Um, and I realised how I was coming across to him. I had launched out of the house without a shirt on with like half an afro <laughs> leaning over the fence saying, yeah, I was in Armageddon two weeks ago. He didn't come back. Never seen someone ride a bike in a suit so fast in your life. Anyway, you may not look as deranged as I did when you talk about the second coming of Jesus, but it does put you out there. It does put you out there. And the reason it puts you out there is because of the predominant worldview of our culture. Now, um, Pastor Paul was speaking about this um, two weeks ago, um, and our predominant cultural worldview is that of rational humanism. It operates on the premise that the hope for the betterment of humanity lies in our ability to apply our human knowledge to good works. So in other words, humanity 
is the hope for humanity. Humanism doesn't have any space for the divine. Instead, you can believe in a God if that helps you be a better person, but this God is nothing more than an idea or a concept. Humans do all of the work and humans will save ourselves through our own efforts. So from a rationalist human po humanist point of view, Jesus fits only as an idea. As a humanist, you can only believe in Jesus as a symbol of something or as a provider of some self-help teachings that help you to be a better, better person. But as soon as you start saying that you actually believe that Jesus was and is God, that he rose from the dead and that he's coming back to rule and reign forever, well, that's, that's getting a bit out there. And that is saying that the hope for humanity isn't humanity at all, but it's something else, that the hope for humanity is in the divine and that the, that divine is a person and that that person is Jesus. But as out there as this message is for our present culture, not only is it 100% true and not only does it make 100% sense, but it's also the message of Christmas. This is what Christmas is about, that our hope is not in humanity. Our hope is in Jesus. Jesus who came to earth as a person in the form of those that he came to rescue in order to live a blameless life so that he could take our place for all of our sin and all of our shame. Jesus who paid the price for sin so that it would no longer be the cancer of our souls and the cancer of humanity. Jesus who rose from the dead to prove that we are no longer bound by it. Jesus who ascended into heaven to allow time so that all who would want to receive the gift of his death and sacrifice could receive it. And Jesus who is returning to bring a final end to all of our sin and suffering. Jesus who will rule and reign on earth as he does in heaven forever and ever and ever. Amen. That's the message of Christmas. And that is our hope. We have a God who came and is coming again. Humanity is not the hope for humanity. You just have to look at history. You just have to watch the news. You just have to watch Married at First Sight. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do it to yourself. Don't do it to them. We'll have prayer for you later if you have. Humanity is clearly not getting any better. Uh, we continue to hate each other, hurt each other, lie to each other, be unfaithful to each other, kill each other, and so on and so on. Not people out there, us. The next evolutionary step that takes us to a place of moral integrity where we alleviate all of our suffering through our own efforts never happens. We're all flawed, all broken, all sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The only hope for humanity has to come from outside of humanity. Now, that's not to say that humans aren't capable of good things. We are. And it's not to say that we can't, by the power of God's Holy Spirit, be part of God's plan to redeem the world. There is stuff that he's doing between his first coming and second coming that is bringing in his kingdom. But we are not able to save ourselves from the sin and corruption that lies inside each and every one of us. I want you to think back to when you were at school for a second. Some of you that wasn't long ago, it was only on Friday. 
For others, it was considerably longer than that. For some of you, it's uh, going back to whiteboards instead of smartboards. And then for others, it's blackboards instead of whiteboards. And then for others, it's a slate and an inkwell instead of a, a, a blackboard. But the thing that I want to describe to you is universal to whatever era that you're at school, right? I want to talk to you about what happens when the teacher leaves the classroom. Uh, now, generally what happens when the teacher leaves the classroom is that there's a period of silence, respectful silence, depending on how much fear there is for that teacher, right? And then after a while, when everyone's sure that they've gone, somebody starts to make a bit of noise, starts to talk. And right now, you've just pictured that person in the front of your mind. It might have even been you, that kid who just uh, is the first one to talk and is up for a chat and a good time as soon as there is an opportunity. And then things snowball from there. Someone else talks to them and then someone else joins in. Then someone else calls across the class and then someone throws a pencil and someone throws a rubber or for some of you, someone throws a quill um, (laughs) or a chiseling tool or whatever it was that, that was used when you went to school. And then a fight might break out and then maybe a song breaks out and then people are on the top of the tables and then at some point there'll be a couple of students who are um, waiting uh, by, the, by the door, the sentries, lookouts, and they will spot the teacher coming and they turn around, quick, the teacher's coming. And everyone scrambles, right? And scrambles like at a speed that they never normally tidy up at and everything is left immaculate and it just seems that by the time the teacher comes through the door, the last person sits down and it's like nothing ever happened, right? Anyone remember this? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, often this is the only way that we think of the second coming of Jesus. It's like this famous bumper sticker. Jesus is coming. Look busy. In other words, you better be doing the right thing when he gets here or you're in trouble. Although I don't think you get in trouble of this depiction of Jesus. He looks less like a guy who worked in carpentry for most of his life and more of a hand model. My apologies if you're a hand model. You're not the sort of person I would think would be coming to beat me up. Now, a large part of why we tend to think this way is because much of the time we are carrying on with our lives without consideration of Jesus or his direction in our lives, right? And so we have things in this life that we are pursuing and, and to be frank, Jesus coming back is going to interrupt that and we're not, not up for that. But in addition to this, I believe that probably the main reason why we have this um, poor attitude to the idea of Jesus coming back sometimes is because we forget how good his second coming is going to be. So to jog our memories, we're going to look at a passage of scripture, okay, that talks about what it's like when Jesus comes back the second time. Now, this verse is from the book of Revelation. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. It's a whole bunch of visions that um, the um, Apostle John um, received. And we have to keep in mind when we're reading these visions that John is trying to describe things that are completely foreign to his experience. So he's he's exploring things and explaining things that he saw that take place thousands of years after his own death. It'd be like sending an iPad back to William Shakespeare and having him describe it to us, right? It's going to be hard for us to probably get our heads around exactly what he's describing. So we're going to have a look at this passage in uh, Revelation 21, which is towards the very end of the Bible. And it says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
And for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Any surfers or people who enjoy the beach might be a little bit worried about this. Um, Just as an idea, um, the sea was often used as a metaphor for a place of evil and separation from God. So I'm clinging to that and that we will have a sea um, because I do believe Jesus likes the beach. I don't have anything to base that on much in my message, but maybe another time. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. You can hear the language of John trying to describe what he's seeing, right? It's beyond him. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I feel like I need to read that again because we forget how good God's return is going to be. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And listen to this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words, they're trustworthy and they're true. That's something to get excited about. Jesus' second coming is a good, 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 good thing. Jesus is the one that you want ruling the world. (laughs) He is. I just want to pause to make a quick side note here, just about something that um, we need to acknowledge as part of any discussion about Jesus' second coming. And, And that is, I don't want you to get me wrong, you only have to read on a bit in this particular passage and read other passages in Revelation or the prophetic books in the Bible or some of Jesus' words himself to his disciples to know that there's another intertwined element to Jesus' return, and that is his judgment in order to deal with the evil in humanity. But that judgment is not something that we should face with overwhelming fear because right now, between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, we stand as recipients of the grace shown on the cross that covers all of our sin and evil thought, actions and omissions. So the things that you should have done but you didn't. Jesus' death on the cross covers your penalty for all of that. All you have to do is accept it. We don't have to fear judgment of evil when the judge himself has taken your place if you want him to. But the other thing too is that we actually do want God to deal with evil. We do. He would be a crummy God if he didn't. He wouldn't be good if he didn't. Evil should not go undealt with. And after all, you don't get no more tears, death, mourning, crying or pain if you don't also get rid of the evil that led to it in the first place. 
So it's only right that Jesus also deals with the evil that comes from sin upon his return. The word Advent, which is the season that we're in at the moment, so Advent is the weeks leading up to Christmas where we anticipate um, Christmas. Um, And it comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which means coming. So Christmas, remember, we reflect on the anticipation of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ the first time. So we reflect on that anticipation because it's happened. But we participate in the anticipation of his coming the second time. That one hasn't happened, so we, we participate in the anticipation of it. Now, the Greek word that the Latin word adventos is based on, so the original Greek word in the New Testament is the word parousia, which refers more directly to the second coming of Jesus. The baby in the manger came, the Saviour on the cross rose again, and right now we live in the grace of his first coming, but Advent is equally and perhaps even more so about Jesus' second coming. We have something that we still anticipate. There's been some psychological research into the power of uh, positive anticipation. So positive anticipation is actually really good for your mental health. It does a few things. Uh, Anticipation can increase your motivation. It can increase your optimism or your overall outlook on life. It can increase your patience and it can decrease your levels of irritability. Anticipation activates our bilateral medial prefrontal cortex in our brain, which is neurologically associated with high levels of well-being. In short, anticipation is really good for you. And it works for anticipating both short-term things and long-term things. So you can have the positive effects of anticipation with something short-term, so like dinner tonight or catching up with someone after church. And you can also have it for big things like planning an overseas holiday or getting married or the birth of a child, right? But there is a correlation with generally the bigger the thing that you're anticipating, the bigger the effect or positive effect on your mental health. And I have some good news for you. We have something pretty big to anticipate. It doesn't get any bigger than God coming to rule and reign right here on earth forever and ever. This is the second part of the good news of Christmas, and it is the biggest thing that you can possibly anticipate. Jesus is coming. And it's not Jesus is coming, look busy, because it's going to be terrible. Jesus is coming, get excited. It's going to be better than anything you've ever anticipated in your entire life. Jesus is coming, and it's a good thing. Jesus, who spoke the world into being, is coming. Jesus, who raised the dead, he's coming. Jesus, who was the friend of the outcast. Jesus, who opened the eyes of the blind. Jesus, who sat and ate with the most despised of all people. That Jesus is coming. Jesus, who could drive out demons. Jesus, who could silence a storm with a word. Jesus, who wept with the morning. Jesus, who laughed with those who were celebrating. Jesus is coming. Jesus, who um, didn't run from paying the price of our sin at the cross. Jesus, who went to hell to take on the consequences of humanity's evil. Jesus, who rose from the dead. Jesus is coming. Jesus, who sits on the throne of heaven. Jesus, our King. Jesus, our hope. That Jesus is coming.
Anticipating the second coming of Jesus provides hope to take us through the suffering that we endure here in our lives. It provides us with incomprehensible peace. It gives us unspeakable joy. Jesus' second coming is a good, good thing because Jesus is a good, good king. His return should be something that we anticipate with joy and hope. So this Christmas, I want to encourage us, me included, I preach to myself just as much as I do to anyone else here, I want to encourage us to put our focus both on what Christ has already done in dealing with our sin and also in anticipating in what he's going to do with our suffering. If you want joy this Christmas, if you're after hope this Christmas, if you are after an assurance this Christmas that all of the pain and suffering in the world will one day end and be righted, look not only to the first coming of the promised one in the manger, but also to the second coming, to the end of the story, to the end of history, the final coming of our kind, powerful, all-loving, all-knowing, incredible King Jesus. I'm going to pray. Jesus, thank you that you are our King. Thank you that you are our King. There is no one like you, Lord Jesus. No one comes close. I thank you that you came a first time and you came in a way that we would understand you. You came as one of us without any heirs or graces, born a simple birth to a poor family and you grew up a perfect life so that you could substitute yourself for the price of sin that we should have paid. You took it on the cross and then you rose again and you left us with your Holy Spirit and you are coming back again. You are coming back again to finish the work of ending sin and suffering. You have broken the curse, but you are coming to squash sin and suffering's very existence in your second coming. And I thank you, God, that you are the God we serve. So right now, Lord, I want to pray for each of us who are all suffering in some way. All of creation is yearning for God's second coming because things aren't as they should be and we know it in our lives and we know it in our world. God, I pray that this Christmas you would instill in us the joy of the hope we have in our soon coming King. Thank you that it is you, Jesus, who is returning. It is you who is coming to rule. It is you who is coming to set everything right. And so this Christmas, Lord, would you put that revelation fresh in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to finish with a song so we can all, we can all stand together. We're going to sing this together and worship our, our King Jesus. And I just invite you at the end of this time, if there is something that you would like that revelation of God's second coming to impact, particularly if you are suffering, in any way, if you're suffering mentally, physically, relationally, whatever it is, we would love to pray with you. If there's anything else you would like someone to pray with you for, you can as well. So we're going to allow time for that at the end. So why don't we sing together? listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. May you have a safe and blessed week.